As I mentioned early uh, this morning, we are in the middle of a sermon series entitled uh, Love Local, uh, and kind of the, the impetus and the drive behind uh, this four-week sermon series is for us uh, as individuals to look at our individual lives, where God has placed us, uh, and, and understand that uh, God has given us this amazing commission, right, to share uh, this message of sins forgiven with people around us. If you heard two weeks ago, Pastor Tim uh, had talked about this idea that, uh, you know what, we have an amazing message that is so unique and different. It's, it's a wonderful message in the sense that uh, every other religion in the world talks about all the things that you have to do, right, to earn God's love and favor, but yet Christianity says it's only through Christ and His redeeming work. Uh, we looked at, at a passage uh, where Peter and John are confessing Christ, and, and Peter made this, this just truth claim to say that it's Christ and nothing else that earns you forgiveness and salvation. It's not about what you do, right? It's about what God in Christ has done for you. If you're last week, uh, the message kind of keyed off on this, that uh, one of the ways that we can witness and share the love of Jesus is how we act in the sense that we can have Patience, which for many of us, myself included, is often a very difficult thing, not just to act patiently in circumstances of life, but even maybe to, to demonstrate and have patience when we are trying to, to get other people to see who Jesus is, and, and we just don't understand and, and know why they're not reacting and understanding and knowing uh, who Jesus is. So the idea is to have, have patience. Uh, today, as I mentioned before earlier, we're going to look at, at loving local, and that is through uh, how we do that vocationally, which is uh, the assigned places, positions, not just your job, but everything, your, your, your assigned circumstance of life. Uh, and to do that, uh, what we're going to do is look at some words from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. They're located, uh, page 8, uh, I'll go ahead and just uh, read that through them here on the screen. It says this, Paul writes, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I laid down for all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in that situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when God called them to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is now Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Again, this is God's word for our lives. Growing up as a child, uh, there were several movies uh, that became kind of my household favorite ones. Um, and, you know, a lot of them were ones back in the 19, late 1980s, early 90s. Uh, anyone remember Goonies? Great movie, right? Awesome. Uh, one of my favorite, though, as a, as a very young kid, was when Disney released uh, an animated film featured uh, called Aladdin. Raise your hand, show of hands, Aladdin. Greatest movie ever. And it's got to be the old one, right? I know they made a new one. 
Um, but the old one, the animated one, uh, just epic, right? I loved Aladdin, right? And if you don't know the story, it goes like this. Here is this, this young boy named Aladdin who is kind of down on his luck. He, he's referred to by many people as a street rat. Uh, he has no place to live. He, he wanders the streets of Agrabah, searching for anything he can to find food, to eke out a living, which unfortunately at times uh, demands that he needs to steal stuff. And he's got that, that little monkey, Apu. I wanted a little monkey for so long after I saw that movie, right? Uh, but, but they go around and, and, and they try to, to, to eke out a living. And, and there's one scene that particularly struck home with me where he, he finds himself on top of a bounding building. He, he pulls back uh, this old raggedy curtain and there he has a full view of the entire city. And, and in the distant background that highlights his view is the capital where the sultan lives. And there in that moment, as he, as he looks out across that city and he sees that palace, he has this desire, right, that he could just have that. That his circumstances of life would change, that, that, that things would go well for him, that he wouldn't have to steal, that he wouldn't have to starve, that, that he could just be a, a someone that had everything he could possibly imagine. And to a degree, it actually happens. Uh, he goes and he finds this magical lamp and he rubs it to see if there's an inscription and out pops the genie, right? The favorite character. And he sings this amazing song saying, hey, you know what? I'm the best friend you could ever have and, and I'll give you everything you want. And the whole idea is this, right? There's three magical wishes that the genie will grant. And so Aladdin asks a lot of different things. One of them was to become a, a prince, Right? And then Apu becomes this huge elephant that he sits on, and they come rolling into Agrabah to win the love of the princess, and, and it's just a wonderful movie. In fact, uh, at the time when Disney released that, it, it was a box office just explosion, right? It, tons of money uh, was taken at and became an instant classic. Now, while I like that as a child, I can tell you that as a grown adult, I still love it, and the reason why it made millions of dollars has nothing to do with Robin Williams, or was it Robin Williams, right, who was the genie? It has nothing to do with all the, the animation or the songs, but because of this point, the plot of Aladdin uncovered something that every human being, no matter their children or adults, often think about and desire. You know what it is? To change your present circumstances. Am I right? Who of us, if we're honest with ourselves, wouldn't love to have a little genie in the lamp that when things are not going our way, we can just rub it, out he pops, and he grants us our wish. He changes everything that we can. If, if you and I today as adults were, were given a, a, a genie in the lamp in a bottle, or if we had a magic wand where we could just, boop, change things, we'd want to do that, Right? And the reason is, right, even though as Christians we look at our, our lot in life and our circumstances and we understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us, part of human nature, sinful human nature, is going to say this, that there is something more that I want or I can do that will ultimately bring for me a sense of contentment or happiness. And there are people right here in this room who think that. There are Christians here sitting here today, right, who are involved in a relationship and a marriage which they love and respect, but yet there are certain things that they either change about themselves or their spouse. And so if they had that magic wand, if they had that genie lamp, 
will they say, yes, if this happens, then I will find some contentment and then some happiness. There are employers and employees sitting here right now who maybe love their job, but yet they know and understand there are certain aspects of it from that, that boss we don't like to the employee who won't do what we say where we wish we could just change. And if we change that situation, then we would have some contentment. We would have some happiness. Parents, you probably think about this more often than anyone else. You know where I'm going with this. But man, if we could just change that one child a little bit, magic wand, then okay, things are great. Children, right? If mom and dad wouldn't do X, Y, and Z, if I could just change this situation, these circumstances, my life would be so much better. I would have so much more contentment and happiness in my life. It spans our relationships, it spans uh, how we parent, how we function as, as children, it spans this idea of our job and our lot in life and, and what we've done, that there is a human sinful desire that is never ever going to be content with the situation as it stands. And if that wasn't enough to deal with, right, because it is a battle, to, to, to really find and to, and to seek after and to change things for the better. But here's the other aspect of it, right? Not, not only do we have to battle this inward uh, lack of contentment, of identity, of, 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 of happiness, but the other thing too is you look at the world in which we live and it speaks the same language, doesn't it? If you want to take notes, one of the things that I'd have you jot down, it's, it's a truth, right? But the fact is, you and I live in a world that says this, we need something bigger, better, or different. On a daily basis, when you're looking at your phone and scrolling through social media, guess what always pops up? Ads, right? Which say, hey, if, if you want the, to change your circumstances, if you, if you want to do something better, if you want to lose weight, right? Here's the magical thing that is going to help you. And it's not just on, on social media and our phones, but we can turn on the TV, and, and granted, there's a lot of streaming networks now that don't have commercials, but some of them still do, and, and we see it again there, too. And more so, we can look at, at the people that, that live in our neighborhoods, and the people that we work with, the people we associate with, and there are times where you and I will look and see what Mr. and Mrs. Jones has and say, you know what? If only I had that situation, if only I had that boat, that camper, if only I had that job, then my life would be fulfilled. I would have a source of contentment and identity. All too often in our lives, you and I will look at outward circumstances and say, if those could just change a little bit, just be tweaked this way or that, then I would be happy, then I would find contentment, then I would, I would really just be in a much better place than I am now. You know, what's true for you and me, what was true for Aladdin, is also very much what was true for people of all ages, and specifically the people that Paul was writing to in the words I read earlier. You see, uh, Paul had planted churches all over the world, and as he would go to each individual place, uh, he would go to the local synagogue, which is where a lot of the Jewish people would, would practice their faith and, and rehearse and, and look at and study the Old Testament scriptures. He'd go there and he'd say, listen, uh, you have read these scriptures, you know everything there is to know about what God of the Old Testament has done and what he promises to do, and let me tell you this, when God talked about the Messiah, he actually came, his name is Jesus, let me tell you about him. 
And, and everywhere he would go, he, he would do the same thing. He would talk to those Jewish people, and, and eventually those Jewish people would, would also bring in Gentile Christians or Gentile people to, to become Christian and tell them the, the message of sins forgiven in Jesus. And it worked. But at the same time, because those people, just like you and me, were sinful, they had a tendency to look outside of themselves to find contentment, to find self-worth, to find identity. And so Paul wrote specifically to the Corinthians and says, listen, you, you can't look at that, right? And he can kind of includes, and he says this, which is another point, right? That, that your contentment, that your identity, that your self-worth, who you are as an individual person is not dictated and cannot be found by changing outward circumstances. And specifically, this is what he says, and let me read it and then I'll kind of explain it. He says, was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation in, they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when he was called to faith is in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was freed when he was called is Christ's slave. Paul kind of hits on a very specific illustration and something that was troubling those Corinthian Christians. You see, uh, as I said, Paul would go to these Jewish synagogues and and he would preach the gospel. People would be converted to the faith. They they understood and knew the forgiveness of sins. And then also there were these Gentile people, right, who, who never practiced or never understood the Old Testament with all of its laws and rules and regulations. And so you have two different people Right? Jews who were circumcised and, and Gentiles who weren't. And they came together and they began to look at each other and say, you know what, I, I think maybe if I'm going to be fulfilled in life, this is what I need to do. And then added to that, the thing too is, is there were people that would come after Paul would leave that congregation and say, listen, Paul was right, you're saved through faith in Jesus, but you also need to do X, Y, and Z. Meaning you need to follow all these Old Testament ceremonial laws, including circumcision. And Paul says, you know what? That's not at all what I preach. That's not at all what matters. That the things in the Old Testament, those rules, those regulations, things like circumcision and and following all these laws, that doesn't make you more a Christian than anything else. So so stop trying to compare. Stop trying to change your outward circumstance and and what you are. Because guess what? That's not going to be the source of your contentment. That's not going to be the source of self-worth or even your identity. It's not going to make you happy. And again, like I said before, what was true for them is true for us. That we have working in us uh, two forces of evil. One is our sinful nature, which says who I am and where my contentment comes from, my self-worth and my identity has everything to do with what I do for God. Call this work righteousness, right? And that's a lot of what the Jews in the Old Testament would always talk about, that it's all about what you do for God. And even though we are Christian people, even though we come to church and we understand it's all about what God in Christ has done for us, on a day-to-day basis throughout our lives, we have this sinful nature telling us, no, 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 no. It's about what you do. It's about how hard you work. It's about changing your outward circumstances because that is exactly where you're going to find any source of identity, contentment, and happiness. Uh, 
for some of you maybe who, who follow Christian blogs or like to read a lot, uh, this last week, uh, a man by the name of, of Pastor Tim Keller uh, passed away. Tim Keller uh, is a Presbyterian preacher, church planner in New York City, has this ma- had this massive church in New York City, and, and he was considered by many modern-day scholars, pastors, missionaries to be uh, this generation's great theologian. And the fact that, that he understood culture to the nth degree, but more than that, he also understood Jesus and what he proclaimed. And there was a book that I had read that uh, talked about this idea of vocation, which I'm going to get to in a second, but uh, he was quoted as saying this in his book, right? He goes, we want to feel beautiful. We want to feel loved. We want to feel significant. And that's why we're working so hard. And then he says, and that's the source of evil. You understand what he's saying? Right? We want to feel beautiful. We want to feel loved. We want to feel like we have significance. And so therefore, we think to ourselves and say to ourselves, the only way that that can be accomplished is by what we do. By the circumstances of our life, that dictates our self-worth. And Tim Keller echoes Paul's idea and thought. That's not right. Your outward circumstances... The things that, that happen on your day-to-day basis, from, from, from what you do for a job to your role and position as a parent, as a, as a student, all right, as a child, as a grandparent, all of that is not what is going to dictate your happiness, your contentment, and especially your identity. Paul says it, it doesn't matter. Well, what does? You see, if you and I are going to find contentment, if we're going to have a, a, a sense of self-worth and happiness, it cannot and will never come from things outside of us. It comes from the change that takes place inside of us. Right? Uh, to say it another way, uh, contentment, right? Identity. Your self-worth comes from the inward change that was brought about through your Savior Jesus. It's never about what I do for God, but it's all about what God in Christ has done for me. That's where I find my self-worth. That's where I find contentment in life. That's where I find my identity. This is what Paul said, right? He goes, in one simple phrase, he goes, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Right? In, in one foul swoop, in a short statement, Paul reminds every Corinthian Christian and you and me of the fact that you and I are valued not because of what we do, who we are, what our job is, what our circumstances of life are, but more importantly, because of the fact that we have value in God's eyes. Paul, in that simple statement, is bringing to mind the gospel message. A gospel message that says this, that God looked out at the earth and he saw you and me and all other people and he said, you know what? They are stuck in the mire of sin and self-righteousness. They are chasing after finding contentment and happiness and other things than me. And so therefore, I need to change those circumstances. And what did he do? He sent his most prized possession, his one and only son, into this world. Right, to live a life that we could not. And then to take all of our, our sin, our, our, our shortcomings, our, our guilt and our shame, and to bear that burden. So that you and I would no longer be lost in this empty way of life that says, hey, it's all about what I do. It's all about my circumstances of life. That's what gives me self-worth. 
Uh, Peter describes it this way, right? That for you know that you weren't, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. What Paul says, what Peter says, is this truth. That in any moment when you feel as though you're not valued, that you have no self-worth, that you've lost your identity, that your circumstances are horrible and not in a good way, remember the price at which you were bought. That God values you more than you could possibly begin to understand or imagine. So much so that he would take, again, his most precious and prized possession, his one and only son, and give him for you and for me. You see, if we want to find contentment, if we want to find identity, if we want to find happiness to some degree or another in our life, it's not going to come from us looking at ourselves or changing our circumstances. It's going to come from understanding and knowing this truth that you are a redeemed child of God bought with the blood of Christ. That God values you more than you ever will begin to imagine or understand. And that alone is what gives us identity. That alone is what gives us self-worth. And ultimately, that alone is what gives us contentment in every single one of our situations as unique, as difficult, and as crazy as they may be in our life. That's where we find our self-worth. That's where we find contentment. That's where we find identity in what God has done for us. But there's an added thing to this which helps us, right? Because you can sit here and say, yeah, pastor, that's right, I know. But what am I to make of my life, the vocation, the position, the place that God has placed me in? What am I to do with that? How am I to understand that? How can I get through? Yeah, I'm a redeemed child of God, but, but how is that going to help me with the boss that I just can't stand? How is it going to help me with the children who just don't seem to obey me? How is it going to help me get through the day-to-day life? Well, here's the amazing truth that Paul is communicating today. Right? He reminds these Corinthian Christians, you and me, of this fact that, that your contentment, your identity is found in Jesus and what he's done for you. You're a redeemed child of God. And now because of that understanding, because of that perspective, all of a sudden, every circumstance and situation of life where God has placed you becomes an amazing tool which God will use you. To say it another way is this, right? That now as a redeemed child of God, this is what God does. Since he's made me his own, since he's called me to faith in Jesus, since he's redeemed me, forgiven my sins, now he uses me in my unique circumstances, my unique situation to accomplish his will. I want to read to you uh, just a verse I read earlier. It's up on the screens. This is what Paul says. He goes, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I laid down for all the churches. I've highlighted that word assigned. And if you have your Bibles, if, if you have your notes, I want you to circle, underline, and highlight that word because in it is this amazing word picture. You read it at face value, you think, all right, God is just assigning us to these different positions in life. But there is so much more to that word. 
Literally, in the Greek language, that word uh, assigned also has this other definition uh, of the idea of maybe you see an accountant who is balancing a checkbook, who is measuring out loans, or maybe you see someone who's cooking and developing a recipe and they have to measure everything just right so the recipe comes out. This is what God does with you and me. He looks at you with your unique gifts, with your unique personality, which he created, by the way. He looks at your circumstances in life and the things that he's done. And what God has done is he said, I'm going to carefully measure and make sure that this is just right for you and for your situation and for your time and place in life. Isn't that comforting? Right? God is just not up in heaven willy-nilly just kind of sending things into our lives or, or placing us in this position, but yet he has wisdom and thought and more importantly, love. He's careful. He's measured just the right amount of what he wants for you and then he gives it to you. When you look at your circumstances of life and you begin to wonder, man, I'd be great to have a genie, just consider this, right? God has measured exactly what he wants for you. That means a lot, right? Mom's dad's struggling with this idea of being a parent and and, and how this is going to fit. I just want to change my situation. Remember, God, he loves you. He's redeemed you, and now he has measured just perfectly what he wants for you. Struggling with your job and the boss who, who is just horrendous, right? You think there's no good that can come out of this. Well, guess what? There's an end goal. God has measured things just perfectly according to your gifts and abilities and placed you in just the right situation. Right? Maybe some people here who are struggling with their singleness and they're wondering to themselves, man, when am I ever going to get married? Guess what? God has, has measured your unique gifts and abilities, who you are because he created you and he's given you just what you need at the right time and the right moment. God redeems you, but then he puts you in circumstances and situations to accomplish his will. There's another passage that comes to mind as you think about this. It comes from uh, Ephesians 2. Paul writes, or he writes this, he says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Two things to understand there. First of all is this idea that that we're God's handiwork. Uh, Oftentimes I've heard people describe it as, well, we're God's, you know, he's got a hobby. He likes to create things and and we're just that. Well, no, that's not what this means. Actually, to understand handiwork is to to relay this point, right? You can look at a beautiful vase, perhaps, right? And you can say that that in and of itself is great. But the vase itself might be beautiful, not because of what it is, but more importantly, because the effort, the energy, and the craftsmanship that went into it by the potter who made that. Right? So, so a vase is representative of the gifts and the abilities of its creator. And so what Paul is saying is this, that everything that you do, who you are as a person, every ability that you have, is not so much a reflection of you as the thought, the wisdom, and the love that God put into it when he created you. And more than that, right? God has given us purpose and that everything is according to his will. And so when you look at your life and you begin to question these circumstances and wonder, what is my purpose? Guess what? Even before you were born, even before the creation of the world, God had in mind, I want you as this individual to do this at this specific time. Where's handiwork? Right? Where, where his delicately and thoughtfully crafted 
crown of his creation. Man, doesn't that change your self-worth? Doesn't that change your identity? Doesn't that make you sure and understand this point that, that I don't care about outward circumstances? Even those themselves are ones that God has put and given to me at this time so that I, as he works through me, can accomplish his will. We read it earlier, one final thought, and this is very keen, I think, would connect us to this idea of vocation and, and, and loving locally and living locally. But Romans chapter 12 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Again, Paul emphasizes that point. That because you are a redeemed child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus, you have self-worth, you have identity. And most importantly, that means that now you live your life not for yourself, but for your Savior. That's vitally important, I think, just to kind of fit this in with the bigger theme of this sermon series, is to understand that your vocation in life, no matter what it is, from the job that you have, to your position as a parent, to your position as a child, as a grandparent, uh, to, as a husband or a wife, you know what? God says this, that vocation, that assigned and measured position in your life is something that I will work through to accomplish my will. What's God's will, right? But for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, someone told me this a long time ago, but you know what? Uh, the unbelieving neighbor that you have, the only Bible that they may ever read is the one that they see in your life. That kind of makes sense in this way, right? That, that sometimes you and I, when we talk about evangelism and, and living and loving local, that, that we conjure up this idea that I need to go ahead and, and be a better church member by you know, evangelizing and learning what I need to do to tell other people about Jesus. And, and that is a very true statement, right? Do that if you can. But the other thing is this. Live your life Understanding your identity. Because as you live your life, the people around you will take notice and they'll say there's something different about that individual. They're not chasing after a, a different circumstances of life. They're not finding their identity and self-worth in what they do. No, there's something different about that individual. What is it? It's them living their lives as a sacrifice to God. Living their lives, knowing who they are, what God has done for them, and therefore letting their light shine in everything they do. You see, that's vocation. It's, it's God working through us in our present circumstances to accomplish his will. And so when you see your circumstances and you, you're confronted with that temptation, right, to, to want to change that, remember two things. Number one, my identity does not come from this. It comes from Jesus. And Jesus, through his Holy Spirit and through his word, is going to work through me in this circumstance to accomplish his will. May God give and grant to each and every one of us, not just a heart, but also a mind that understands and takes this truth and let it hit home in our lives. Amen?